Welcome to your Right to Speak discussions on social justice and advocacy, and this is episode four of the Rising Youth Podcast, and I'm your host, Salvatore. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Root Gang Entertainment about advocacy through music and colonialism. I'm excited to have these talented artists on the show today. Through my advocacy career, I've used different forms of advocacy, and I found it very important. Um, And also on the topic of colonialism, it's been a very important topic for me, um, and I've long wanted to talk about this topic on the show. Would you all like to introduce yourselves? Yeah, I am Dan. My stage name is Doobie. I am from Skatee Nation. I grew up on the Camel Reservation with Hope, with Patrick. And then we just started doing music, talking about stuff that we're doing on the res. Hey, what's up? My name is Michelle's. I'm from the Treaty 4 territory, and I've been doing music for about 10 years now. And yeah. Yeah, uh, my name is Diana, AKA Mama Rude Gal. I'm the founder of Rude Gang Entertainment. Um, and yeah, I'm originally from Treaty 7 territory. I'm from Sixka Nation and uh, mix ancestry with West Indian and Celtic. And yeah, I grew up in the arts scene with my mom, Charlene Helson, and other indigenous uh, theater matriarchs like Michelle Thrush and Tantu Cardinal, Stacey De Silva. And um, yeah, so advocacy and arts have always been my main ting. So here I am, yeah. Uh, my name is Patrick, AKA Hope. Um, I am one of the founders, co-founders of Rude Gang Entertainment also. I'm also one of the founders of Status Crew, which is Doobie and myself. Um, I am co-Salish. I am tall tan uh, through my mother. Um, yeah, I, you know, in the things of advocacy, my auntie is Quetzaltatl, which is the founder of Camp Cloud. And so, um, and also my cousin Siam was one of the ones that was just arrested uh, while occupying space in Vancouver there. So mm-hmm. um, when it comes to advocacy, it's just in my family. So that's why it has come into my music. Nice. So yeah. we've taken the music and kind of meshed the two together. That's awesome. Welcome. <laughs> We're going to do what your right to speak fashion is and just dive into the questions and the topics, and we'll see where the conversation takes us. Um, so... To start us off, can you explain to the listeners how you got involved with Rising Youth and how'd you hear about them? Um, Yeah. Coming from a point of view of the mother who had her children taken away, I started a movement called Ministry Monopoly, and it was based on the child apprehension. And I wanted to raise awareness because I was in a space where I've seen the downfall of women and their children and, and there's no family bringing together. It was just, it almost felt like a lost cause. So I started making music based around that and trying to raise awareness about this, about child apprehension, to, to build a gap between it. And then I met Mama Rudgal and I went to one of her shows and she told me about the Rising Youth Grant. And I was like, boom, I could do this. That's awesome. Can you explain uh, to the listeners that don't know about the Rising Youth Grant, what that is, um, what the process is to get involved in that? Yeah, um, 
can definitely speak to that. Um, so I originally was, <clears throat> for about a year and a half, a youth engagement activator with the Rising Youth Program, with Taking It Global. And my whole job was to basically be in charge of the province of BC and reviewing those applications and doing the youth outreach for the province. And um, <clears throat> basically, yeah, the process, I mean, Rising Youth Grants are like super accessible. Uh, the application takes about 15 minutes, it's online. Um, they deliberately make it really, really accessible for youth um, who, is particularly youth who are experiencing barriers to other funding opportunities, making it kind of an easier process for them. Um, basically, you would just go on, you fill out your application. Um, there's funding streams of $250, $750, $1,500 to do uh, various sizes of projects that are based around a certain community or, um, yeah, usually based around a particular like marginalized community, like you would do an event for poverty or a drive or um, we had somebody in BC who did a day of like free hip hop dance workshops for underprivileged youth, which I thought was a really cool way of uh, kind of using the money to do a project. Um, yeah, and so you would need to do a budget depending on the stream. If you're doing a $1,500 budget, you need a, uh, or a, a $1,500 project. You would need a budget um, and a community reference that is there to support your project is there to kind of vouch for you and kind of be your main go-to person um, to help things kind of move along slowly or not slowly move along well in a good way let's just leave it at that um is yeah my my pitch is so rusty because it's been like three months i haven't had to pitch rising youth um yeah but it's it's a really really good program i definitely highly recommend applying is usually gets it gets done pretty quickly it sounds awesome. Where would, if someone like wants to apply, where would they go apply? On the website? Or? Yeah, you could go to risingyouth.ca and the applications are all there for you. And there's usually a local youth engagement activator who you can connect with if you need like one-on-one -on -one time to like physically go over some like budget things or anything like that. Cool. Yeah. That sounds awesome. So. I had the opportunity to listen to the song Tides, which was amazing. Why don't we take a uh, quick listen to um, part of your song? And uh, for the listeners, if you want to listen to the full song, you can go to Rude Gang Ent on SoundCloud.
So I had the great opportunity to listen to the full song, which was amazing. <laughs> uh, Y'all are very, very talented. Um, you're very welcome. <laughs> Can you explain to the listeners about the song, why it was important for you um, to talk about this topic? Um, you know, I wrote my verse on that. Uh, you know, we're surrounded by a lot of uh, things that we have to deal with as Indigenous people. We're constantly having to fight. Um, and so I find that in those, we're always talking about the struggle and stuff like that. And so I wrote this one uh, to really, you know, talk about the work that needs to be done. And so that's why I start out, it takes work, work, work. Um, and so that's, you know, realistically, my verse was steering away from um, staying on that topic that we usually talk about. And I've done that through the whole Red Man album. Uh, we talk about problems that need to be dealt with. And so this one was uh, just more of an inspiration verse to get people going, to get, if youth listen to it, they're like, yeah, you got to put in the work. And uh, so, yeah, that was my main focus was to make sure that when I wrote that, uh, it's about taking it far with your work and never stopping and keep going and um, kind of keep that, that drive that you have um, while still fighting for our people you know, in, in the ways that it gets tough. I have, aunt, like I said, my aunties, I've watched her be tired, really tired, right? So same thing with a lot of the fighters is you get really tired and it's very stressful. You're kind of dealing with these things all the time. So it's nice to do stuff. That's why I love to do music because I can decide, no, I'm going to say this and it's going to be about inspiration and work. And so when these people hear it, they're really inspired and they really want to get up, get out of the couch, get out, get out there, go, go, go. Because especially in rap, we're constantly having competition. Like when you get to the States, we had this discussion when you get to the States, they're working hard down there. They don't, it's, Canada is a little more cushiony as far as your, your medical care and stuff like that. So when you get to the States, they don't have that. And so they're, they're more real with their struggle um, and so it comes out in the music. You can kind of, oh, these guys work hard. They're forced to work hard. Um, so, yeah, I kind of brought that into this verse with the Taking Global. I thought it was something that, you know, rise up. Um, and I knew that the people that I'm with, we're going to make sure there's always that area where they're going to talk about those things, right? And so I wanted to make sure that I was kind of coming in on a different angle and talking <clears throat> about something a little different. And if, you know, if any of the other artists talked about that, that's great, you know. And so that my focus was to kind of change my mindset on that one a little bit. Yeah, um, for me, I mean, I guess I wrote, I wrote the hook and then I wrote my verse as well. And so I kind of wrote them from a similar perspective in that I was speaking. So I think we were all speaking to a different group or almost are speaking to like a specific person or a different thing. And, and so he was kind of trying to inspire the youth on the last verse. Hope was trying to kind of inspire the youth on the last verse and leave them on a really good, like ready to like leave them kind of feeling ready. My verse and, and the hook also were kind of more to address the adults in the community who are still reluctant to hand over power. And, and um, <clears throat> I like, you know, um, you know, giving over their power positions to younger generations who have different ideas and perhaps have a better understanding of what the future holds versus what 
you know, the old ways of doing things and that, you know, kind of we need to still do it this way because that's the way it's always been done. Is like that's not really valid anymore. We need to start really changing things. And so I wrote the hook to kind of, you know, open that up, kind of open that dialogue and look around. The youth are doing things. Um, they're mobilizing and you can see it. Like, look at them. They're, they're totally, they're passionate, they're upset, they're angry. Um, and they're wanting to start movements. They are starting movements. They're not waiting for permission anymore. So just wake up and look around. And then my verse kind of went a little deeper into that where it's like, you know, we really have to hand over the power because they're the ones who are inheriting the earth. Um, we need to let, you know, our sons do things that, you know, in the 90s was not okay for them to do because that was too emotional or too effeminate. And we need to, you know, stop underestimating our daughters and let them... Um, really let our young people come into their identity so they can come into their full power and you know and then hand over our power to them so that they can do what they need to do to keep the earth strong for more de uh, generations to come so that's kind of where I was coming from yeah my verse when I wrote my verse I was um, talking about change like changing the views changing um, cause I have, I have three children who look up to me and they're, they're wanting to get into music too. So when I write my music, I want to inspire them and help raise them up. But also at the same time, like talk about these things that need to be talked about. Like for me, it's all about like the ministry and apprehension, but I also want to bring awareness that the mothers are becoming more resilient and we're fighting for our children, we're getting our children back and we're reuniting families. So I also wanted to like just inspire and empower the, our next generation because they're looking at us and we are the role models to them. So I take, we take our jobs very seriously mm. for the next generation. Yeah, and mine, they they told me about this track that was going on for TIG and they, Mama and Pat told me to think about something that's going on my, in my community that we could bring up or talk about. And I drive down Main Street and Mission every day on my way to work and I just, I see like teenagers, young kids sleeping on the side of the road and stuff and I just think to myself, why? And in my verse I call out the why, like why are they there? Like, what's happening? There's illness, addiction, they're struggling, they just need to be pointed in the right direction. And I'm trying to, like, call them out. Like, why? Why are you here? What are we doing? And, like, the starvation, like, my in my verse, I'm like, starvation, are you working it out? Like, what are we doing here? What are we doing? Like, how do we make this better? And I thought it was a perfect opportunity to talk about it because that's what we're doing here. Trying to bring everybody up, right? So it sounds like the song touches on a lot of different aspects, but one of the main things that I'm gathering, like the underlining thing is about inspiration and youth empowerment. And I mean, I have long fought for that. Um, I've noticed that within different systems in society, we don't often recognize the power that youth have, right? I think we're slowly in, a, in society making that shift. Um, I don't think we're quite there yet. 
Um, but yeah, like I, I do appreciate that underlining theme. Um, there may be some adults listening to this who say that, you know, yes, youth have power and youth empowerment is important. Um, but there are some barriers to that. Uh, what would you say to the youth that are possibly facing those barriers? What advice would you be able to give them? Um, for me personally, because I was a youth who was facing multiple barriers, and also that was a thing I wanted to add on, was that we're, the song is like, it's, an, it's empowering youth, but it's also through addressing colonial systems and how that's impacting the youth and the indigenous people and uh, the choices that we are forced to make or the, what we're boiled down to in, in those things. And so youth who are facing multiple barriers, um, like again, um, as somebody who's, I'm indigenous, I'm a black woman, I, I have, you know, uh, PTSD, so I have like a person with disability and then I have, I'm racialized and then of course the socioeconomic things that come with generational trauma and so those are all the things that we're constantly pushing through. We have to get to our goals and we have to get there on time and we have to get the grade and we have to do this and we have to do that while all that stuff is kind of on our shoulders. And I think that the thing that worked for me was disregarding colonial systems altogether. And unfortunately, I'd like, I think a lot of people get a really get really antsy about the idea of doing that because again, it's there's so many people who think, well, they're there for a reason. These rules are there for a reason. And, and everything is in place because that's how it's supposed to be. And it's like, yeah, but a long time ago, there were different rules that told us who was human and who's not human based on skin color. And that was a law. So what does that say? I mean, that doesn't mean anything. These are just, these are just the shrinkages of the colonial systems that existed before. And they still have the residue of colonization that is impacting specifically marginalized groups. And so I think that the biggest aha moment for me coming up was realizing that abiding by colonial systems was optional and that there are other ways of going about reaching your goals. There are other lanes for us than what are being taught to us in school. It's not just like be a doctor or be an astronaut. You can go and be a fighter on the front line. You can go and be um, somebody who makes film, you don't have to go to school for 12 years. You can pick up a camera, you can do it yourself, you can learn, you can make a living, there you go, now you're making a living and you made, you did it, you made it happen yourself. You don't have to abide by colonial systems. So those barriers that you're coming up uh, upon are the colonial red tape. So sidestep it. What are the other options that you have in your community? Who in your community is doing the things that you wanna do? Who in your community is already not abiding by colonial standards and living their best life. Go talk to them. Ask them how they got there. What did you do to get there? What was it like trying to get there? Do I want to put myself through that? Do I have the capacity to put myself through that? Maybe I don't. Maybe I am safer taking this route instead. But at least weigh your options. Know that there probably are way more options than what's being told to you right now and just keep exploring and info interviews with people who are doing the thing you want to do is like the number one thing I always tell people like if you're doing something you want to do go ask them how they did it they'll probably tell you and if they don't you probably don't want to be uh, <laughs> hanging out with that person anyway and you're easily gonna find somebody who guess what they're probably on the same level as this guy and maybe they're not very close friends because it can get kind of competitive in certain fields. So then the other person is probably likely to tell you a lot of secrets especially if they find out that you know they're 
arch nemesis didn't help you out. And so, you know, there's always somebody that's going to help you. And there's always avenues for everyone. And that's what I kind of like to tell people. It's like, find your role. Your role might not be what they told you it is. And you're not going to be happy. And if you go and you find your role, you'll, you'll, you'll be whole. Because that's part of your identity. It becomes part of your identity. And so if you're doing something that's outside of your identity, it's never going to feel right. It sounds like and correct me if I'm wrong, like youth need to do some, in a sense, some reflection of what the role is and kind of like looking outside of who else can they use as supports and who else can they use as networks for them. And it's not just what society puts on you, right? It's just really looking outside of that. Um, And sometimes thinking creatively what that may mean for that youth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, while also keeping in mind that protecting yourself is is huge, huge, huge. One thing I like to add to the to say something to the youth is that like I grew up with the barriers to being stuck on the res. Most reses are in the middle of nowhere, so far to travel anywhere. You feel like you can't say what you want to say. Yeah. Say it. Mm-hmm. Say what you want to say. Ask the questions you want to say. Like you feel silenced, right? And music is a great way to get it out of you. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, um, to the youth that are listening, we're all in this together. We've all been in the same place, you know, when it comes to being the first generation not directly attached to the residential schools. We all have the stories of our aunties, parents, you know, my parents directly connected to the residential schools. I'm sure we probably all have the same story. You know, and I've heard that from all of us. So at the end of the day, we realize that we're all in this, we're all here. So if you're out there feeling like you're the only one and you feel alone and not to say that you're, you know, you feel your way, but we're all here together and we feel, yeah, like we're here. um, That's why we do music. And we've had, we're from the reserve. Me and Doobie come right from the reserve. Grew up, um, we still have family that's on the reserve in rough states they're not doing good you know and that's not uh something that it just becomes part of our life and you just like me and do we talk about all the time we're just like okay that's how are they doing and we feel not not too good and we just have to okay send our love send our prayers um but you know what i'm really trying to get to is as the youth who are out there feeling the same like you know there's even the older heads they're with you you know, you, that's why you get the nods by the indigenous heads when you see them, when you walk by and they go, yo, what's up? That's because we're all like, yo, we're all in this together, you know, and that happens quite a bit. Um, there's some darker spaces, but, you know, it's uh, in the grander scheme of things. We're all like all my cousins. We all know that we're we have to do something to bring the salmon back to our community, to bring back the music, the drumming. There's not enough drummers on my, you know, in our family, when we look at our family, we're like, how come all of us aren't drumming? Because that was how we did. Um, So my mama makes beadwork now. So that's like something that's really good, doing beadwork. We've got drums at the house now that the mini loves to drum on. So uh, yeah, we're here with you. That's all I gotta say. That's a great message. I wanna say to the youth, don't be afraid of your voice. Get louder, get prouder. Know that there's resilience in your DNA and just to 
be proud of who you are. And there's lots of us out here. Be proud and be loud. Yeah. And also, I think one of the, that is like with youth all over the world, kind of like um, generally speaking is that what happens is we get worried or young people get worried about expressing themselves because they're scared what their friends or their mm -hmm. peers are going to say or do or, you know, take pictures of or make posts about. And I think that you, you, you can't be worried about that. You have to make sure, for one, that you're safe. You're creating safe spaces for yourself by surrounding yourself with people who support you. And, uh, and then be unapologetically you. Do everything that you, your heart wants to do. If you're scared about something, if you have a goal, if there's an opportunity and there's like a little bit of fear, that's because you're, you're supposed to do it. That's your path. Keep going. Mm -hmm. It's nerve wracking. Keep going. Don't worry about what anybody else around you is going to say or think about what you're going to do because you will have regrets when you turn 37 and you didn't do that thing that you wanted to do. So do it. Right. Yo, how many, how many of these things where we get in front of this microphone like this, but you still come in here like, yo, what a, and that's what keeps us going. Because we come in here and we're like, it's going to be a little bit, we don't know what to say, but we're going to jump right into it. Same with mm. the kids. Yeah. We go and do these workshops. Yeah. We don't really know what we're going to do until we get in there and we go, this is, we just going to exert, yo, how we doing today? And then that's where we get our energy from, you know, mm -hmm. so. I, uh, some great stuff. That's some great stuff. I love it. Um, let's elaborate on the workshops. Yeah, yeah I was gonna. Yeah, we yeah. just. Yeah, we just. So, yeah. we can totally speak. Yeah. So we we actually just came yeah. from Whitehorse, Yukon, like literally flew in from New Orleans, stayed at our bed for one night, went back to the airport, went to Whitehorse, and did um, some work with some youth in two different schools. So we did two different groups, and we do. A hip hop song building workshop with youth and we just kind of go in there and wing it because it's honestly youth groups are kind of like you have to read the room first so there's no yeah. point in planning anything so we just bring our gear we go in there we read the room and we kind of go from there yeah I'll let you well we just came back from the indigenous music summit in New Orleans and so coming from that you know we're sitting mm -hmm. in on sessions we're doing shows with indigenous artists from all over the world um, in, really inspiring. So we went straight up to the Yukon. Uh, we get in with these kids and it's, you know, it's like that. It, it was really great to bring all our equipment, set it up, get the microphones going, um, not really knowing what the turnout is going to be. But every time we did something, we had kids telling us that was one of the best experiences they've had. And we were like, whoa, that's yeah. great because we didn't really know what we were going to do. Yeah. Um, we knew we know what we're doing, but when it comes down to it, you, we we take different angles on wh wh how many kids are there, yeah. uh, smaller crowds, and then we ask questions, and then once we get those questions, then we start to shoot off where we're gonna go with it. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one we talked a lot about um, protecting yourself in the industry. Yeah, obviously I speak a lot to the young women in the room because as a woman in hip hop, it's a different uh, different hurdles for us to go go through and different uh, ways of being treated in the industry and so I thought it was extremely important for me to especially their high school students letting them know that you know they have as much power as their male counterparts and not and not to let anybody make them feel that they have less yeah I mean I grew up with sisters all sisters so and and do we you know we all know this 
we grew up with aunties. Yeah, uh, in the house of 13 boys, but Deb ran the house. Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, we're taught, like, the women are the ones we, we got to really, that's where protection, yeah. no disrespect, or you're going to get in trouble, <laughs> you know? And that's how my aunties were, strict. They, My dad, too, everybody, my mom, but really came down to my aunties always being around me and all the cousins and stuff like that, so. Yeah, so we speak, we try to, that's what I think a lot of people, like, booking the two of us together is because we have the male perspective and the, the female perspective, and we bring um, both sides, and then we support each other, so it's always a good thing for young people to see that yeah. having mutual respect for each other. Um, very very easily and not performatively either um yeah. and yeah and but the workshops are really really cool because you just never really know how the young people are going to receive the the work that we're trying to do with them and you kind of have to come from different um sides of things like if they like for we were lucky that these last two groups were actually like music students so we could yeah. be like a bar is two measures of four four everybody knows what that is right they're like yeah so i'm like cool because otherwise we have to kind of build that in and start okay now we have to kind of give you like a real quick like music lesson about what a measure of four four is and yeah. go through like a beat finding activity which we build in for the students who don't have a music background um, but for the ones who do we kind of have we allow them a bit more time to do some writing and then we bring them up to the front of the room if they like we actually have cordless mics so that if they don't want to come up to the front we can just bring it to them um, yeah. and then we record them right into the software we write a hook on the spot we get everybody in the room on the hook so that anybody who decided not to write something doesn't feel left out and uh, yeah, and then we build a song in like an hour and a half with some kids and it's always like a really, really fun time. Yeah. How did you come up with the idea of doing these workshops and what has been your overall arching goal for the workshops? We were originally hired by First Peoples Cultural Council to do um, workshops with youth at the Gathering Our Voices conference, Indigenous Youth Conference that happens in BC uh, annually. And it was a similar situation where we were like, they were like, we're gonna bring you in to do this workshop. And we're like, great, what's, what workshop? And what are you, uh? yeah. and they're like, come on in. And we're like, okay, but what are we yeah. doing? And they're like, we'll see you tomorrow. And we're like, we don't know what we're doing. And so we yeah. like yeah. walked yeah. in there with our stuff. And we just, it was the same thing where we just had to wing it and build it. And it was like, oh, it worked, Yeah, it worked. So yeah. we're just like, that's our formula now. We're just. That one we had Dale Cutler. Yeah, we had a we had another a indigenous third. artist. Yeah, and from, uh, from Northern BC. Yeah, and so he had his equipment. Yes. And I think that's where we kind of were like, look what you got. Yeah. Let's just do that. Yeah. And uh, it actually came down to languages. Mm -hmm. So we had these indigenous students, and they all had their own. You know, it was like a language thing. So we're like, yeah. do a rap. Inclusion and all of them knew their language, mm -hmm. and they're all from different areas. They yeah, were, we just like built this song like with their language, one line at a time. Yeah, and I think we left it open so we don't. If you don't want to write, that's okay too. Yeah, because that's part of creating. Sometimes yeah. you're like, I can't even write. Yeah, okay, that's totally fine. Yeah, this is where we're gonna do the hook, mm -hmm. where we get every and if and then we do a thing where we're like. Now we're gonna add the haze. The like the little uh, the hey. ad libs. Yeah. Hey. Hey. <laughs> yeah, hey. get everybody. Woo. And what happens there is even if they weren't down, they're usually I would say about ninety nine percent of the time, yeah. they're gonna get into it. 
Yeah, because by that point it feels sillier to not to be not doing it, do it, and everybody around you is yeah, like yelling. Yeah. I'm trying to sit here and be grumpy. Like, yeah. no, start yeah. hanging it up, yo. Yeah, so we ended up, you know, by the end of it, everybody's into it, and then the, you're like, wow, you got like every single person. Yeah. Like, yes, that was the goal to really get everybody involved. Yeah. So and after. So they walk out high spirits. Exactly. And then after that they feel more motivated to do music if they were yeah. interested in it, they'll certainly continue experimenting with things. Yeah. Um yeah, after that we asked our friend Dale if we if he didn't mind if we continued uh, this workshop ourselves and he was totally cool with it cuz I don't like to bite people's stees, you know, without well, yeah. permission. Yeah. <laughs> do I have consent to bite your stees real quick? He's yeah. like, yeah. I'm like, all right. So we, I mean, we brought our own equipment this time. Yes. Uh, we have everything set up. We do have, like, we have a lot of microphones. Yeah. So we're like, yeah, Yo, we, do, we, we could have different setups, real professional, chaotic eyeball, yeah. studio. But th- we wanted to make sure that the kids were all involved. Yeah. You know, no pressure. Yeah, we wanted to make it like fun and kind of more loosey-goosey instead of yeah. like really like right. super serious where we have like a standing mic and they have to they have to come up yeah. to to yeah. But it's really great cuz but for both groups the kids who went first and we were like you got to volunteer to go first, don't make us pick. So everybody right now while you're writing think about going first. Yeah. <laughs> Consider going first. Yeah. Cuz it might be you. And so like ever there's always somebody's like, "Okay, I'm going first." And they were like really good. Like honestly, both tracks are so fire. It's like, yeah. Once so the good. first kids went, yeah, it just domino effect. Yeah, the kids were like, "I'll go now," and then we yeah. had a lineup. Yeah. We're like, "Whoa, yeah. they're all lining like up." Yeah, there's like a lineup off the side, and yeah. they're all like, "Who's it my turn?" I'm like, yeah. "Yeah," and I love it when they accidentally leave their lyrics, and they're like, "Bye," and I'm like, "Oh, souvenirs." So I have like those little stack of <laughs> their like actual lyrics that they wrote for a song. So I'm keeping them. Which is yeah, you could use that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's cool. Like a collage on the wall. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah so that's fun. So really, you know, your workshops, it sounds like it's really bringing youth together. Absolutely. Um, um, In those workshops, do you touch upon um, advocating through music? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. That was like a huge thing, obviously, especially because we're here with Rising Youth. Um, The first group, um, more so than the second group, actually was a combination of music students and then the social justice club. And so it was very much, obviously, um, we talk about we talk about hip hop. We talk about the difference between like commercial hip hop and having corporate obligations. And this is why these tropes keep popping up in hip hop because they have the corporate op- uh, obligation to Bacardi and then to whatever clothing line and then to Audi. And they have to show the cars. They have to show the money, the gun, the whatever, the girls. And um, and when you're making, we have this opportunity as being kind of not corporately obligated that we can kind of do whatever we want. And when you get to that point, you no longer have kind of creative control. And so take this opportunity and don't, don't you know, maybe don't see that so much as a goal because you actually have more freedom and creative control on this lower level. And what can we do to kind of maybe start erasing those tropes and making them less relevant by speaking our own truths and not the truths of the corporations? <laughs> so that was, that was a huge thing. And so we talked about... Um, you know, thinking like listening to the beat and what does this song sound like it should be about? Well, this one, like the group one was kind of like a heavier track was like, maybe this could be like something that makes you upset or, and then he, his whole take was like, maybe you could do something that's like something that makes you upset, but how do you flip it to make it inspirational then instead of, you know, writing on like the darker end of things. I'm an emo kid. 
he's the light, and so I'm the dark side, and he's the light side. Yeah. And so we always kind of take that aspect. I'm like, if you want to get angry, get angry. And he's like, yeah, but, but, if you want to write happy stuff, you can write happy uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, there was, you know. Yeah, whatever. Do what you feel like, you know. There was a lot of good. The first session was like, they the, they came out with, um, the misogyny stuff. Yeah, bars, and it was like feminist crazy. bars. Yeah, feminist yes. bars. And I was like, wow. Yeah. Listen to these kids. They mm-hmm. have so much to say. Yeah. And they had valuable stuff to say. Yeah, and they talked so, about their mental health. Yeah, and then I also could see, I was kind of reading the kids, and I was like, hey, these kids are like feeling like, I, I just felt like they weren't really like, oh, I don't really know what to write about Trump. They don't, you know, and so I was like, you know, if you want to write about things that you like, too, like yeah. sports, or things like that, I was like, that's inspiring too. And that's where I come with my verse is like, that's the same thing where it's like, you know, you know those things are also inspiring to make sure that if there is a kid um, that hears and is like, yo, it's cool, I play basketball, I play baseball, mm-hmm. whatever you need. So yeah. that's that was my approach. My whole focus was trying to keep it with the social justice thing and yeah. like, what do, how do we address issues? And yeah. so I was kind of trying to keep it more that, but he's, yeah, his whole point of like, kids, so not all kids know or are familiarized with issues. So yeah. if we're gonna get them all to participate, we still have to kind of meet yeah. them and halfway. They- yeah, and they did. Those kids got involved. After. Absolutely, they were like, "I'm writing about Kobe." Yeah, in that time because Kobe yeah. had just passed. Yeah, away. exactly. The other one, they you know they got involved and it was really good. Yeah, so. it was good. We had everybody uh, contributing. It was yeah. a fun time. Very rewarding stuff. Yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so um, speaking so about speaking advocacy about through music, music, why have you all decided, decided to? to use music music as as an advocacy advocacy form and uh, particularly, uh, why have you, why have you decided to use music to, use to, address to address or to talk, or to about, talk about colonialism? colonialism. Oh. Um, hip-hop's quick, right? It's growing fast. People like it. They want to hear it. There's a voice that needs to be heard, and we just picked up on it, and now we're focusing on that to get it out as a message, right? So that's why I feel it's important. So if they hear it and actually get that message, that's a success to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I'm, I um, I use hip hop as my outlet because everything that I'm going through, I put it in my music, and if it can help somebody get through a certain situation or whatever they're going through, that's that's what I'm in it for. And I would like to, I raise awareness through my my music to give it a a message, like a subliminal message. Yeah, um, I I love um, hip hop as a tool to, again, like fighting those tropes and yeah, with the subliminal thing, I try to um, write in ways that still sound very much like a kind of like a commercial, like bop without having those tropes in place or replacing those tropes with feminist rhetoric and like, different narratives and just changing the narratives but keeping the cadence and the instrumentals and and the verbal and and the physical intention behind my performance all very much the same so that I don't lose that audience because I don't want to start preaching. I know very much that that doesn't uh, solve anything because the people who need to hear the message that I'm trying to give them are not going to, they're going to turn it off right away. So I need to still make sure that I keep them on the line and I keep them listening and make them like the song and they don't really, because I feel like uh, the thing with hip hop is that young people they'll hear it they'll hear a song about like Alize and then two weeks later they're like Alize is the coolest drink ever 
this isn't because I heard that song last week. That's just because I like Alizé. And I was like, no, it's because you heard that song. So how can we take that whole like brainwashing effect that uh, that hip hop and commercialized music has on youth and to have them make positive choices and have them change their mind about, you know, like there's a lot of young men who are very anti-feminist because they just don't understand it and they're, all they see are the men hating memes and these horrible examples of, you know, women who are very angry and that's the thing that they choose to go with and so how do we change their minds you know the people who have their mind made up and they're not looking at they don't want they don't want any new education at all well they're still listening to hip hop so i can make a hip hop song that they'll probably listen to and maybe start to open their mind up a little bit um in a way that's less confrontational yeah. um you know i think being a hip hop artist and being indigenous is one of the greatest things because if we get to do the thing that they didn't want us to do, mm -hmm. which was have a really strong voice and really like send messages. And so that's where at some point we're like, yo, I'm gonna eat this up. I'm gonna like send as many messages as I can. Uh, I am young, I am able to do this. I understand what needs to be said. And so that's why I use my music for that I'm an indigenous person. I don't even speak my own language. That was taken from me. That was taken from my dad. That was taken from all my family. So we're sitting here right now speaking English. Mm -hmm. And this isn't even our language. And so we're, um, you know, when it comes to rap, it's the greatest thing to take these words and say the, the really bad things. I mean, we used to say, I love you hear certain rappers and you're like, I can't believe they just said that. That was really messed up and really like dark, but at least, you know, as an indigenous person, we just like, I'm gonna say anything I want. And that's, you know, um, one of the greatest things is, you know, even our language was taught to our generation before us and they were told <clears throat> not to speak it because the elders were scared for these people to be like, you can, you know your language, don't speak it because you're gonna get in trouble. Right, and so silence to the point where it's you're, it's so dark, and so now, Red Man that we made was one of those things. It's just like uh, I'm gonna say what I want, and it's gonna be super powerful, on the fact that even these elders and stuff are gonna hear it and be like, man, we weren't allowed to say anything like that. Um, I've have stories of my uncle telling me when he was young they weren't allowed to walk in more than three natives. It's too much. It was considered a threat. In a group of more than three. In a group of more than three. And my aunties and uncles, there was 11 of them. So they weren't allowed to be together when they were going through. And so that's like, that, that's like, that's my aunties and uncles. That's not even, they're still chilling right now. I hit them up. I'm like, you went through that. So now they, I know that they listen to what we're saying and they're like, yes, say it, say it loud and make sure that that's why we can't say the wrong things. That's why we can't, there's people watching us. There's our aunties, there's our elders. And so when we do certain music, if I was to just go ahead and start doing those tropes, I've been taught never to do that, even in respect to my aunties and my sisters and my little nieces and, you know, as far as uh, protecting our women, so. What is the one message that you want to get across with your song? Be you. That's from Hope. I would say um, just, there's a lot of support in authentic stuff. And uh, 
you know, everybody's going to support that real authentic you that you have and not having to make sure that you are trying to impress or be a show, you know, showboat, you know, make sure that um, if you do have somebody that you're looking up to or for, you know, taking tips from, also check out what they're into because we've had times when people have heroes and you get older and those dreams get crushed because you learn something about them. So it's important to know who we're following also. Um, yeah, I mean, find your power, find your strength, find your role, and get in there, achieve those goals, um, protect yourselves, and yeah, do everything that they said you would never do or you could never do, you can do it, go and do it, you got it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mine is to dream big. There's no dream too small, there's no dream too little or too big. Just dream big and go hard and follow it with a passion. Don't be afraid to ask for help. There's always somebody out there to help you. You're not alone. Great messages. Love it. I got some goosebumps. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to follow up a little bit on, you know, we're talking about, Hope, you said something around... Um, the importance of youth like to be themselves. What advice would you give to a young person who is struggling to find themselves? Um, it's very common uh, in the indigenous community, um, especially since there's uh, a big gap in, in the generation as far as like mental stability. Um, Um, finding your identity, um, you might have to do some research, you know, because there was a lot that was wiped out and stuff like that. And the our a lot of our info would come from our elders. So, in the in in the years that I've been coming up, my identity would have to be trying to get in touch with my grandma or the teachings that my grandma had. Um, we don't have our grandparents, so that would involve reaching out to my dad, uh, trying to get as much information about who my grandma was, who our grandparents were. Um, and that's where our, I'm still trying to do that. So my identity isn't even really found yet. So I would say to the youth, as somebody who's older and hasn't found their full identity yet, I'm looking to go and find my grandparents and learn about their history um, and who they were, um, whether it be, you know, a history that some people would think is dark. Um, we always know that every single human being didn't start out that way. If it, if it so happens to be a dark history, there was probably some things that led to that, that dark darkness. So no matter what happens, we're looking for our elders, uh, the history of our people and our, you know, where we come from. And then also 
um, understanding that we're all just humans and then you, you're going to find that they'll find out who your real grandparents were, you know, and your bloodline. So, Can I add to that? Because um, I think also, I mean, that was very, I think, focused on indigenous youth. Yes, and yeah. And, like, ancestry. It was, yes, yeah. But I think, for me, when I hear a lot of, like, youth who are finding themselves, it's, like, youth who, even LGBTQ youth who haven't come out yet, and they don't know the safe way to do that, and things like that. So, on a more general end of things, um, definitely look within and look without, and I think is a good way to put that, like, really get in touch with yourself internally. What are your feelings? Don't don't run from your feelings. What are those feelings? Name them and we'll try to maybe that'll help you connect with the root of those feelings. Look without and that's what I mean like he's mentioned doing some research if that identity thing is um, part of that. Do some research into your ancestry or do some research into the resources that are in your community where there are advocates. Um, if you are for example, like with that example again, of somebody who doesn't know how to come out um, and are scared, there are advocates. And um, just, cr again, creating a safe space for yourself to be genuine with yourself and be honest with yourself and with those around you, um, it can be really scary. And if you have people around you who are extraordinarily like judgmental or who are openly saying things that you're like, ooh, that's about me, but they don't even know, um, maybe it's time also to be honest with yourself in the way that you, you tell yourself, look, I, maybe I don't need to be surrounded by these points of views and these words all the time. And sometimes it's hard because that's our parents or our aunts and uncles. And how do we separate ourselves from that? So it's, 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 a, it's a tough thing to do. But again, looking within and look without. Look for people in your community who can provide those supports that our parents can't always do and um, you know looking inside yourself to see what what you can do for yourself as well because it's it's a two-way street so yeah I think that if you're trying to find I'm trying to like he said I'm still trying to find out who I am yeah I think it's super important to be able to ground yourself mm -hmm. whether it's to that pavement outside or to the forest or whatever you have to find your ground yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. we did a smudge Mm -hmm. And that helped. Yes. For us, you know. Yeah. So but if, if there's a ritual thing that would help, if praying helps, if mm -hmm. writing your dreams down in a journal helps, and like I'm a total like I love tarot and dream reading and stuff like that. So like whatever things that you're interested in, explore those things and mm -hmm. give yourselves, give your spirit what it wants, not just your mind and your mm -hmm. your taste buds. They give your spirit, your spirit wants things as well. And so give way to that as well. Yeah. Create that safe space, like you said. Mm -hmm. That was great because I keep hearing that. When mm -hmm. we went out to the summit, we created a safe space for, for. Yeah. And let them know like nobody yeah. is allowed to judge each other. Yeah. You write what you want to write, and nobody in this room gets to say anything negative yeah. or joking. Yeah. Or clown you or roast you or whatever the None of that. terms are <laughs> these yeah. days. That's not cool. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. I think for me, that really hit it, the safe yeah. space. I was like, yeah, that's that's really what we're trying to do. Step one, having yeah. a safe space where you can actually be yourself. Mm -hmm. That yeah. how can you even, you can't go anywhere without that, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All great advice. <laughs>
we're gonna switch gears just a little bit. <laughs> um, so from Rising Youth, you you know have had great support from them um, through their grant. Why do you think it's important for organizations like Rising Youth to support young people in their projects? Their yeah. Why do we need more of that? I think it's important to uh, give youth um, the feeling that right off the bat that they can do it. Mm-hmm. Right out, you're like, you can do it. So here we're going to do, you know, and we're not going to do it for you. And I mean, obviously, if they need help, you need help. But it's the initial thing is to give youth the money so they can do it. Um. I think also what happens is a lot of organizations, they're not really connected to the community that they're trying to plan these events for, and it ends up being kind of a PR thing for them where they're like, see, we're supporting these communities, as you can see, but we controlled everything they did with the money. We controlled everything that everyone they brought in, we said no to those and we suggested these people. And we, you know, and so it's like, well, the people in the community that you're trying to serve are standing there like, none of this is helping us yeah. so it needs to be the power again like i'm in my verse we need to give over the power the power completely needs to be given over to the person from that community because i think it's very kind of racist point of view to think that well if i give the money to somebody in that community they're not going to know what to do with it why why on earth would you assume that an indigenous person or an lgbtq person or a youth would not have the knowledge that need that they need to do the thing that they want to do if they probably have at least a very strong foundation and so maybe there are different ways that organizations can contribute suggestions or whatever um, but i think that it's extremely important for those organizations to just give the power the control the coordination and the budget over to the person are the people, the group, whoever from that community who are going to be able to use those funds appropriately. It's like like trying to decide for like a homeless person where they, when you give them their money, you're like, but make sure you go to Subway. Like they're, yeah. they're gonna do whatever they need to do. Maybe they need socks, like you don't know. Mm-hmm. You have no idea what they need. So you just give them the money and that's it. That's the whole thing. And they can take care of themselves from there. I think that's a very important thing. And I get that it's a huge risk for these corporations because it's a big amount of money and if it goes wrong, then blah, blah, blah. But the idea that the focus on what if it goes wrong is too too high and they need to have more trust for marginalized people from marginalized communities because we have a ton of knowledge and a ton of information that we got by going through these struggles, by, by having to code switch and speak in a very, hello, my name is, yeah, we don't, we shouldn't have to do that anymore, you know? And so times are changing, it's time for organizations to get with the program as well. Yeah. You know, I've often talked on the show about a term called adultism. Have you all heard of that term? So I wrote my two theses on those. (laughs) This is like, (laughs) (laughs) so adultism is really kind of like reverse ageism where it's saying, so an adult is practicing adultism when they say a young person cannot participate in decision-making or cannot be given a certain amount of funding because they are youth, Yeah. right? And it sounds like that's what we're kind of talking about. It's that, you know, just because of someone's age, (laughs) right, it doesn't mean that they're not capable of handling whatever, 
right? I've worked with a lot of youth in one of my past jobs. <laughs> I supported youth in developing their own like grassroots projects or starting their business. And I mean, it was one of my favorite jobs. And, you know, really, you know, I took the stance of like, we're going to give them the funding and they'll come to me if they need the support and I'll support them. If not, I mean, they can do with it with what they want and what they find meaningful for their grassroots project, right? Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I just want to throw it out there because like I'm an adultism researcher, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's totally, I mean, that was the thing that I loved about working with Rising Youth is that we knew that if it was any other program, my job would be to be bugging them and what did you spend it on and show me the receipts and this and that. And of course they have to submit their final report. And, but we're not bugging them until the very, very end of the process. We're not checking in on them and, and like doing things that show that we don't trust them. Like we just kind of let them be, we shoot them an email to make sure that they don't need anything. Um, and that was like a really huge thing was like, we're just giving these young people um, all this money to do the thing that they said they're gonna do and they're gonna do it. And pretty much 98% of the time it got done. And, and the other 2% was usually for some type of logistical thing that was just like, of course, I mean, this is your first, if it's your first project, you don't know what the risks are yet. So you're still, that's your first time learning the risks. And then now you've learned the risks. Next time, you're not going to run into those problems. We all need the opportunity to learn those things. Right. I mean, and even if we think of like, adults who have started businesses or projects. I mean, those mistakes were made. They were allowed to make those mistakes. They may have lost funding, like for whatever reason, but there was space for them to learn from those mistakes exactly. and take those learnings and now apply it, right? And, you know, we have to give youth that space. And that's why I love Rising Youth. <laughs> because, you know, it gives that space. Um, I, you know, do some fundraising on the side for... Uh, a place that I kind of work at uh, part-time and you know it I see in the fundraising world that you know there's some grants that just don't allow for that space and they're very rigid and these are your targets and if you don't meet these targets we're going to take away your funding and yeah. it, I mean really uh, truly it's not fair mm -hmm. it's not fair right we, we have to allow space for people to grow and learn and kind of experiment right yeah. yeah I wanted to add to that so when I got my grant I was able to target in my community at-risk women and for them I was able to like open open more doors and show them that you know if you have a dream you can access this grant and make it come true so yeah doing yeah. doing work in the community is a big thing yeah no more of these youth grants that we hand out the more youth will see that these obstacles are overcomable yeah absolutely mm -hmm. they see their peers doing it and mm -hmm. then they want to join in too yeah the fact that i mean it, i didn't even know that there was money that w people were just giving out mm -hmm. in my whole life yeah and i grew up well you know i grew up as like and that's how status group we're doing it all ourselves, man. And we have we have to do it like this. And we're, and and then it wasn't. And you know, once you get into the art world, they're like, "Yo, there's money." And I was like, "There's people that are giving us money." They're like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Oh my God, why?" I want to do this music, but I've always looked at it like, man, I don't have twenty thousand dollars. 
or am I going to get 20,000 if I do? I got to pay rent, I got to pay my phone bill and stuff. So Yeah. Coming yeah, learning that there is that money and then once you and then those protocols come in, you're like, "Oh, it's not that easy." Mhm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that oh, was there's a catch. Crushed. Yeah, there's <laughs> a catch. I was crushed. So things like Rising Youth was great to come in and it was like, "Bing bang boom, you got the money. Oh my god, that exists." Mm-hmm. Yeah. When that I exists. started my program, I didn't I didn't realize I've been sitting on my my movement for years, but I didn't know how to like bring it together or bring it to life. So it just sat there. And then when she mentioned the grant, I was like, whoa, yeah. it's a real thing. Like I can bring this to life. Yeah, yeah that's totally. kind of been yeah. um, Rude Gang Entertainment's whole MO since its inception was like, I saw that Status Crew was out on the scene making music for like 10 years and they were still just like paying out of pocket to do things. and. I thought, like, aren't there people out here? Like, the people who you're surrounded with, they know about the grants. Why aren't they telling you? And, yeah. And so yeah. I thought, well, there's grants. Let, let's look into this. And yeah. so we started applying for grants. And actually, Connected North was uh, our first um, our first small grant that we got um, each. And then from there, we've gotten StoryHive and um, FPCC grants. And we've yeah. been able to just... Um, support our art through funding, which has been really fun. Yeah. Yeah. That didn't come without some no's, though. Yeah, we had to get rejected a couple yeah, times. Yeah, we got so. no's, no. And then we had to no. learn, of course, that, again, it's like those things. It was like, oh, yeah, but you're not allowed to do this with the money, and you're not allowed to do this with the money, and and of course, not really understanding what a budget was supposed to look like. So we had to we had to learn. We had to make those mistakes. We had to get rejected. Yeah. And, um, and now we know how to fill out a grant and get ourselves quite a bit of money to yeah. do the things we need to do. So, for anybody listening, Root Gang Entertainment can help you. We're here. We're here. Very We're here. What we do. We're here. Right now. Yes. <laughs> I'm the one that'll give you a nod. When I see you walk when by. When I see you walk by. Yeah. Indigenous or no? Yeah. What's up? What's up? <laughs> Which mom always seems like, you're so, I'm always like, anyway, what's up? Usually try and say hi. Yeah, he's the extrovert and I'm an introvert, so yeah. I'm always like this. Yeah. <laughs> like, our daughter is like, hey, I'm Zoya, I live in Burnaby. I'm like, quit telling people. Quit. I'm like, quit saying things loudly, now everybody's looking at us. Yeah. So, yeah. We're good, we're like yin and yang. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna switch the gears back to colonialism. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are some of the gaps um, that we need to, in society, um, to address colonialism? Well, it seems like a lot of people don't even like really understand it. Mm-hmm. Like understand colonialism, what happened. Mm-hmm. It's awesome that we're putting it into our music so they can hear it. Mm-hmm. Or in the, are they're in denial of it? I mean, workforce. Workforce is uh, where a lot of that racism and all that stuff lies. Hugely. Yeah, my work. Destruction. I literally, it's it's really weird. I get paid less than some of the people that have, like are just starting there. Yeah. It's, I don't know, it's really weird. Yeah, yeah so you, you question it. You why? Question yeah, why? why? Um, the workforce for me, I work in a restaurant. I'm the only indigenous person in that restaurant. There's over 250 staff. There's other restaurants too, and I don't see a lot of indigenous people in those. So we're just getting into the thousands of staff and there's only one or two natives. So um, we hear racism all the time in the workforce. And I think that's uh, a hugely guarded space 
you're guarded there. There's rules. Uh, people are, have hierarchies, so you're scared to say something because you could get, they're going to make your job harder and get you fired if they want through a, a, a collection of things that they don't like, and then boom, you're fired because realistically you were the one speaking out against their racism or something like that. So that's pretty common, and, and having people protected um, in those workforces too, and then you now you're, you're bugging somebody. They're just trying to be friends. I'm literally going through this at work, and I've been talking with Patrick and Mama about this stuff because it's happening at my work to me. There's, like, an elderly lady that, like, really got mistreated, and that's what made me, like, whoa, like, can't treat an elder like that? Like, Yeah. <laughs> so, in my mind, I would say um, break down those barriers in those. If you are somebody who's a manager... If you are somebody who has power to really get into those and notice it and say, hey, no, every single place now has a protocol. Uh, I'm the manager. I'm coming in and, and there's no racism allowed at all. And anybody who experiences it, please come to me and we'll have a private discussion and you don't even have to be named. We'll deal with it where you don't even have to. And that's really hard to come by. Because uh, in workforces, it's it's just it's so accepted, and you're so scared. Everybody's so scared of getting fired for saying something to the somebody who has power but is racist. And um, you know, I I were I couldn't imagine what it's like in when you know that when you get in, into construction, it's a little more rough, man. When in in, I mean, we're in a restaurant. We're dealing. We we have to serve constantly different people so you kind of censored a little bit but if you didn't if you're just a boss and you're not dealing with people and you are racist and you're gonna be your no one's gonna tell you and you just and so it's up to have those people in the higher-ups had know about it and this is a protocol I don't care how long you've been here you're not allowed to talk like that and give those people underneath a little bit more power to say something and say hey that person makes me feel really uncomfortable and I don't want to, you know, and it's tough, though, because we're always going to be scared. I, even in my work, I go through it. I had one indigenous person come in and would call. He was an older guy. He would call them out. And I loved it. He'd be like, hey, that was racist. That, you can't say that. That was not funny, making fun of the way we talk or something like that. So I think that's uh, as, as we get these power positions, we can be aware if we're. Because I just wanted to. Um, mention that like colonialism is systematic so when we're asking what we're asked what we're really asking is for millionaires and you know what I mean like billionaires and people who have are at the top of the hierarchy to sacrifice the things that they have accrued for themselves such as cars and airplanes and summer homes and give those up so that the wealth the wealth can be spread out or to be completely, I mean, how do we deal with it if the owner of the company is racist and then right. they're the gatekeeper for all the opportunities, right? And so it's a situation where colonialism shows itself through a, a, a sequence of like gatekeeping right. situations, which are all colonial in themselves. So if every every situation is being um, like prevented like from for people from marginalized communities mm -hmm. or people with multiple barriers and the gatekeeper for those opportunities are colonial then there's like just no way 
right. through that gate. And so we have to just stand on the other side of the gate hoping that they'll decide or change their mind or show some empathy. And so I think that a lot of a lot of what colonialism is is systematic and that to to really get to the bottom of it is is going to be like addressing like the wealthiest people and right. asking them to really change their lives, mm -hmm. which is going to be um, like a huge ask. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Very much agreed. I think it's a process that will probably take generations. Yeah. I, I think it's going to take some time. Um, I think because colonialism is so entrenched in the systemic that some people don't even notice that it's there yeah, or totally. even realize that it's there or yeah. what they're doing is wrong, right? And yeah. I think the for me, the first part of that is just shining a light on it. Or, mm -hmm. I mean, I've come to a space of advocacy where sometimes the most powerful thing is you can just plant a seed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And then you just yeah. water it yeah. and you just slowly let it grow. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. um, but because of that, it's going to take generations, I feel. Yeah, um, yeah. There's often barriers. Uh, I'm very interested in education policy. So, you know, we talk about like the issues in education and how it's, you know, a banking concept. But truly, I mean, that is a colonial practice. So mm -hmm. to change the education system is to address colonialism. Yeah. Yeah. Which is going to take time. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And that, that that whole, like, I mean, you're saying like shining a light. And so in my head, yeah. I'm imagining like these dark corners of society where people are benefiting from the systematic yes. thing. And as soon as you shine a light on them, they're like, no, no, no. And so like, it's really like confrontational. They get really up in arms. And then again, you're asking them to like, hey, what do you guys want over yeah. there? That maybe we should, we should talk about that. And they're like, no, don't talk about it. Because then as soon as you talk about it, we got to start changing what right. we're comfortable with over here. And we don't want to do that. Um, even though it's going to benefit this thousands of people, right. we just don't want to do that. And so, yeah, colonialism and addressing the colonialism systematic thing is like, it's so, it's extraordinarily complex. It is. I think, you know, we're going in the right direction. Yeah. It may just be an inch, but I mean, it's an inch. One day it will turn to a centimeter. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll slowly... <laughs> We're not moving backwards. <laughs> forward, forward. Yes. No, well, that. Totally agree. Yeah. That was an oopsie moment. <laughs> but yes, I mean, we all got what I'm saying. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Everybody gets we it. Agree. Yeah. We agree. Okay, yeah. Awesome. Um,. I have just one more question for you all. Um, and it is what's become your right to speak's trademark question. Uh, what does advocacy mean to you? Raising awareness. Um, for me, advocacy means, um, yeah, I mean, definitely using, creating a platform, using whatever platform you have. If you, again, if you own a business, um, what can you do to support people? There's a restaurant in BC that they give free meals out to anybody who like asks. They don't need to see proof of your homelessness or anything like that. If you ask for a free meal, you must mean it, they'll, they'll give it to you. And so 
that's and you know what I mean they didn't need a big YouTube channel to be helpful they're just doing what they can do so advocacy means you know being in the community understanding the community taking steps to understand the community that you're passionate about helping and um, joining in with them and not trying to do your own thing that you think is going to be good for this community when nobody asked you to do that thing uh, go in and talk to them and connect with the people in that community and and um, listen to what their needs are and then you're voicing those voices and you're trying to give them more power to use their voices and I think that's the most powerful form of advocacy that I've seen anyway so far advocacy to me Doobie you got an answer for this? <laughs> not really they pretty much hit it channel in the, yeah. to something that you can do to help right? Like mm -hmm. for us it's music yeah. for you it's mm -hmm. this yeah I would, I would say advocacy to me is having a strong mind and healthy surroundings, you know, so we can do the work that needs to be done. And within our community, we have people helping us. So, you know, that's simple. Awesome. I think that's a good way to end the show. Would, does anyone want to say anything before we end the conversation? I would like to. I would like to give a lot of love to Onada for making Onada. that beat. Onada. 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 We love you, Onada. <laughs> we, we haven't forgot about you, man. That beat was fire. Yeah. Tides. <laughs> Tides, produced by yeah. Onada. Onada. Onada is the fourth member of uh, Rude Gang Entertainment. Or the what, four, fifth? <laughs> We're going to confuse everybody. Um, <laughs> this is un, un, undecided. Um, but anyway, yes, Onada is a fourth member of Rude Gang Entertainment. And he does all our instrumentals. He makes our hip-hop beats. He is based in Ontario. We flew right over his head to get He's here. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so hopefully next time we do something like this, we can uh, try to bring him along too because, uh, yeah, he's we, we really love him very much. So. The other um, thing, the other thing I would like to say is check out Redman the album. Yes, please. We created that album recently. We yeah. do have work coming from Rude Gang, but right yeah. now Redman the album is something that we're putting highlights on. Yeah. Uh, you can see us live. We're doing videos. We're dropping videos for it. And we the foundation. The foundation, uh, Indigenous Hip Hop in Canada. Documentary. Documentary. Funded by Story High. Yes, that we made. And yeah, stay tuned for more Rude Gang uh, stuff coming out. Doobie's album is coming next. And then myself. You can shells. find me at Hope SKS. Instagram. Hope from SKS. Yeah. yeah. Mama Rude Gal. Rude Gang ENT. I'm Miss Shells. And I got a Boss Lady album coming out. For to support women empowerment, raise up the women. You can find me on social media under Ms. M Z S H E L L Z. It's kind of like hard to spell and say. Ms. <laughs> <laughs> Shells. On Facebook, Doobie from SKS, Doobie SKS on Instagram. We got SoundCloud, YouTube channels, yeah. Status Crew, Everything. Rude Gang. Yeah. yeah. Everything. We got a video coming for Doobie. Justice. No justice on stolen land. Yes. And it's about the missing and murdered indigenous woman. Yes. And you're wearing a dope shirt. This is actually my cousin Tanya and my auntie Belinda. Yeah. Yeah. 
Butterflies and Spirit. And the Butterflies and Spirit is my cousin Lorelai, and um, they have this group, and they travel around. I don't know if you've heard of them, or but they do a lot of this work too. They're yeah, mm. bringing attention to missing and murdered Indigenous yes. women. Yeah, yeah. So shout out Butterflies and Spirit. Butterflies. Yeah. yeah, Butterflies and Spirit yeah. for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Your right to speak will be posted on the second Wednesday of every month. Thank you again for all coming out to speak with me. It was an amazing conversation, and thank I you loved you. everything. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for thank having you so us. Much. Rude gang. Rude gang. <laughs> Rude gang. <laughs> Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to this week's episode of Rising Youth Podcast. For more information about the program, we provide. Um, or to start your own project, please visit risingyouth.ca. Let's raise awareness together.